plate to potential nugget. Again, as a student of transitions, Ram, I was curious about Gandhiji transitioning from South Africa to India. And uh, one of the pieces that struck me was when he comes in, he's asked by Gopal Krishna Gokhale to take a year and really travel the country and understand the sort of the complexity and the nuance before doing anything. So talk to us a little bit about uh, A, what he did, how he went about building that nuanced picture and and B, how did that set him up in terms of moving forward on, the, on so his I, mission? If answering your question, I'd have to say a little bit about his years in South Africa. Sure. So I spoke earlier on about the importance of luck. And luck played a very important role in Gandhi's career too. Mm-hmm. Gandhi went to England to study law, came back to India and tried to set up a practice in Bombay and failed and in Rajkot and failed again. And he was saved from obscurity and failure by an invitation from South Africa to settle a dispute between two Gujarati merchants uh, that was being played out in the courts. And those who were fighting needed a lawyer who knew the English law as well as the Gujarati script because many of the documents were in Gujarati. And he went and stayed there for more than 20 years. So that's the luck. Uh, That, you know, luck that enabled Gandhi to make a success in his profession that he could not at home. Secondly, and more importantly, it was in South Africa that Gandhi understood the extraordinary diversity of this country. Assuming he had succeeded in the Bombay Bar, in the 1900s, 1890s and 1900s, almost all of his clients would have been Gujaratis like himself. He went to South Africa, he met Tamils, he met Bengalis, he met people from UP, uh, he, he met Telugu speakers, uh, he ran, which is why he ran a magazine in four languages. Uh, he was introduced to Muslims, Parsis, Christians, all of whom played a part in his movement. He befriended Jews, white Jews, white Christians. So his understanding of diversity religious and linguistic diversity uh, comes in South Africa. It's in South Africa that women enter the movement. In India in 1910, it was impossible in a conservative society for women to enter politics. But in South Africa, women were fighting against racial inequality. So South Africa shapes his views, expands his horizon, and then he comes back. And because he's been away for 20 years, Gokhale tells him that, uh, you know, uh, learn about your country. So he didn't know the diversity of the country in practice, but he knew about it in theory. Because with him in the struggle in South Africa were Gujaratis, uh, uh, Tamils, Telugu speakers, UP bhaiyas. Uh, with him, there was also class diversity. He was middle class in Bombay. All his clients would be middle class. But there, they were indentured laborers, shopkeepers, traders, porters, as well as rich merchants. Sure. So he, But here he comes to understand the diversity in practice. And uh, he travels around uh, the country for a year and uh, deepens his knowledge of, the, of, of, of this place. Now, the other thing about Gandhi, uh, which may be relevant to your audience, uh, which is less uh, emphasized, that he was a man of great ambition. He knew he, he, he knew he wanted to change India. One of the puzzles in Gandhi's life, which is not fully documented, is why he came back. He was hugely successful in South Africa. He was the most important uh, Indian in South Africa. He was widely admired and loved. But yet he upped his sticks and came. Because, in my view, though there is no documentary trail to confirm this, hints of what he says in the years, uh, years before coming back, 1910-1910, so, suggest that Gandhi had discovered in South Africa the technique of non-violent protest or satyagraha. He had discovered in South Africa the importance of Hindu-Muslim harmony. 
of economic self-reliance. He had slightly, but not properly, begun to understand the importance of caste distinctions. He, and he want, he, but he felt uh, confined or uh, not challenged enough by being the undisputed leader of 150,000 Indians in the diaspora when he could have, but he, he wanted to become the undisputed leader of 300 million Indians in India. He never says this. He never says this, but that is the only plausible explanation of why he comes back at the height of his uh, institutional and professional success in South Africa. Uh, that he wanted to try these ideas on a much larger scale. It was an exciting challenge for him. I mean, just like, yeah, I, mean, I don't know what the corporate analogy would be. No, but a booty company taking over Tata's or something. Looking for scale. I mean, yeah, looking for scale. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, see, he, he had this conviction in his abilities and, uh, you know, his uh, capability to transform India as a whole, not just Indians in South Africa. But again, back to the, the one year, is uh, there anything to be said about uh, listening or just absorbing without... Uh, oh, Gandhi always listened. So even in South Africa, people write to him. He always answered important letters. You know, he was a great listener. I mean, even before he came back. This was more to acquaint himself with the country at first time. But his capacity, to his open-mindedness, his willingness to listen, to change his mind. Uh, you know, his, if you look at the evolution of his views on the caste system or on race or on gender, he's becoming more and more progressively, more and more radical and shedding his earlier conservative status quo inclinations. Uh, the two things on which is there's no negotiation is Hindu-Muslim harmony and non-violence. Those are matters of principle. Today. But he's a listener. I mean, he listens, he, he, he believes in argument and debate. Uh, but there's, again, uh, if you want, I can read a wonderful passage on this. If, you, sure. if you're interested. Sure. Gandhi once talked about taking one step at a time. Mm -hmm. So he was an incremental reformer. You know, he wasn't a man in a great hurry. He wanted to understand a society, a system before seeking to improve it or transform it. And his non-violence comes from that. His open-mindedness comes from that. And he comes back to India in 1915, spends a year looking around India, looks a little more. In 1917, organizes some localized satyagrahas. And only in 1919, after four years in India, he launches his first movement at an all-India level to roll at March. So that, that he has that sense of soaking in the country and its diversity coming to grips with it before trying to change it. But this op on Gandhi's open-mindedness and his willingness to listen, I want to read out an extraordinary passage in my book. Mm -hmm. This is 1942. So this is 27 years after he's come back. And he is the great and acknowledged Mahatma. In 1942, he is the most famous man in India and possibly the most famous man in the world. Famous. Hitler is the being the most notorious at this stage. Right. Now, this is from what I'm going to read to you is an account of a visit to Gandhi made in June 1942 by the American journalist Louis Fisher. So he spends a week with Gandhi in his ashram, morning to evening. This is a lovely little book called A Week with Gandhi. And in this book he says, Part of the pleasure of intimate intellectual contact with Gandhi, said Fisher, is that he really opens his mind and allows the interviewer to see how the machine really works. Other politicians choose their words carefully so as to bring their ideas out in final perfect form so that they are least exposed to attack. Gandhi, on the other hand, gives immediate expression to each step in his thinking. It was as though a writer was to publish the first draft of his story, then the second, then a third, 
changing his mind and refining his arguments for all to see. Now, this is Gandhi. Fisher goes on to say, Fisher had also met Jinnah several times. He admired his intellect and knew him to be personally incorruptible. But whereas Gandhi spoke spontaneously, wrote Fisher, Jinnah talked at me. He was trying to convince me. When I put a question to him, I felt as though I had turned on a phonograph record. I had heard it all before or could have read it in the literature he gave me. But when I asked Gandhi something, I felt I had started a creative process. I could see and hear his mind work. With Jinnah, I could only hear the needle scratch the phonograph record. But I could move Gandhi as he, I could follow Gandhi as he moved to a conclusion. He is much more exciting for an interviewer than Jinnah. If you strike right with Gandhi, you open a new pocket of thought. An interview with him is a voyage of discovery and he is himself sometimes surprised at the things he says. So here is a man who is so famous, so powerful, the Mahatma of all of India and still thinking, debating, reflecting, changing his mind. So that's what he was. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Three things struck me here. One is that while looking at a problem, we often look at it from the inside and that can often give us a distorted picture of what's going on. Finding a way of stepping out of the system and developing a view might be valuable. It was interesting to hear Dr. Guhar speak about Gandhiji's stint in South Africa as a time where he got exposed to the diversity and the complexity of India across various dimensions. The second piece that struck me was the time Gandhiji took to settle into the system before moving forward. He launched the Rollet Satyagraha, a national movement only four years after he came back from South Africa. But in the time until then, he'd been involved in three local movements. Champaran Bihar, Kheda and Ahmedabad in Gujarat. Again, India is a complex country and driving change requires that investment of time. But the key takeaway for me is the criticality of giving oneself time to absorb the nuanced context, build followership slowly before undertaking drastic changes. The third element that I found fascinating here was the point about how Gandhiji engaged with the people and the insight that Dr. Guha shares borrowed from Louis Fisher. I guess it's not just about doing the rounds and ticking the boxes in terms of meeting the various constituents. I guess a lot of it is due to how Gandhiji connected with the people that he met, how well he listened and how he was able to shape his beliefs along the way as well, rather than coming in with a predetermined point of view. Thank you for listening. And apologies for the audio being a little noisy. Dr. Guha and I had this conversation in the outdoors on the pleasant Bangalorean winter but we couldn't put the construction worker at a neighboring site or the birds on mute. Hope that did not come in the way of the listening experience. For more podcast content curated by theme, please visit playtopotential.com and visit the curated playlist section. To know more about the leadership advisory work I do, please visit the about section at playtopotential.com.